Welcome to Bob Into Buildings. I'm Bob Harrison. In this six-part series, I'll be visiting more buildings on the island that have a story to tell. The previous two series are still available on the Manx Radio's website. Just look for Bob Into Buildings under Podcasts. Tonight, we pay a visit to St George's Church in Douglas. And speaking to the vicar, Andy Brown, I said, I always get a sense of grandeur entering this church. Yes, it is a, it is a grand building. Yeah. And, of course, it, it seats. 800 people Mm -hmm. and uh, you looking uh, towards the east you get that gorgeous those windows you get the gorgeous roof the ceiling the wooden ceiling you get the the um, baldacchino well it's a pretend baldacchino with the pretend pillars and the pretend uh, uh, archway there so it says it is gorgeous It, it does say exactly that. It is, it, and we've tried over the last nine years, we've tried to balance being an, a very old church, I mean, opened in 1781, but it had taken 20 years to build it and get it consecrated. At the same time, of course, we've got this superb modern audiovisual stuff with giant television screens spread around the building with a very sophisticated sound system. Uh, we can live stream music, live stream videos, etc. So we try to balance the best of the traditional Church of England and, you know, the modern Church of England as well. So I think behind you, those screens are quite modern, aren't they? The wooden ones. Yeah, well, up to this point, uh, of course, this is not easy to do on a radio. <laughs> but you're pointing. <laughs> I'm pointing for all I'm worth. The, the, the first part is 1929, which was the First World War Memorial, uh, forming a chapel of remembrance um, for the uh, First World War. Two years ago, in 2018, uh, if, you, if you'd have come in, you'd have found builders here, because we then extended the screen slightly and put a back wall, as it were, uh, of, also of oak to match the 1921 panel. And we've put in three uh, stained glass or, or etched glass screens as well, the glazing, which are a copy of the uh, west windows of All Saints Church on Alexander Drive here in Douglas, which we closed two years ago because it was going to cost far too much to keep it open. And the Royal Air Forces Association of the Isle of Man uh, paid for a complete refurbishment of this chapel to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Royal Air Force. Nice and peaceful there as well. It was a shame about All Saints because it was quite a modern church built 1965 yes yes it had its problems so the congregation all come here now a a large number or a number do um yeah um some were uh, felt it would be better not to come here and worship elsewhere which is entirely understandable Groundwork started on this as you said in 1761 yeah because the populace was growing and 
It's a lovely article, The History of St. George's by Gorn, on one of the pages on the internet. Um, They thought St. Matthew's was um, a little bit for the people and they wanted to worship elsewhere in Oates Farm. Oatesland. Oatesland, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was decided to build it here. But then all of a sudden, 1765, revestment caused all kinds of problems. See, the thing was, in 1765, the act of revestment meant that the, uh, the British monarchy bought the kingship of man, or the lord of man, as it had become, um, in order to try and stop what the British called the running trade, uh, and which the rest of us... Uh, sorry, which we called the running trade and the rest of us called smuggling. <laughs> yeah. But St. Matthew's in, sort of was built on the running trade in some respects, down by the quay, wasn't it? Well, so was St. George's, to be honest, <laughs> or, or as it was known at the time, uh, Douglas's new chapel. Um, it was much later it became St. George's. But it was built by the, the new middle class, who'd made their, uh, largely made their money out of the running trade. And so in 1765, everything stopped because it virtually bankrupted the new middle class of Douglas and indeed the new middle class of the Isle of Man. And work didn't start again until 1775, ten years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the original building of St. George's finished in 1779, by which time there was no bishop to consecrate it. So it wasn't, in fact, consecrated till 1781, <laughs> which uh, was just bad luck, really. If they'd only finished building it a year earlier, they'd, they'd have, you know, we'd have opened in 1778. There was some conjecture on the internet that it wasn't named after St. George, but after George Mason, who I think was the bishop at the time. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> It could be, but I do think it is telling that uh, they chose St. George and that this was known as the English Church and St. Matthew's was known as the Manx Church. And the the real division was between the local community who were chiefly, uh, you know, it was a harbour, it was a fishing port, and the middle class who came to St. George's. In fact, it wasn't till the mid-18th century that we got a... mid-19th century that we got a balcony, and that was the instruction of the then bishop to provide free seating for the new working class. When you look at churches, you always think that what was built here in 1781 is finite, but, but it wasn't because this has been altered quite a lot over the time. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, originally, there was, uh, in 1765, when they stopped the building, they'd got the nave and they'd got the roof uh, finished. Not the roof we've got now, mm. which is three roofs uh, with two valley gutters. Then it was just one roof and a lower tower. But they had that ready. But in uh, 1825... They extended it westwards with, uh, uh, it used to finish really part way where we now have a nave communion table, that, that would be the west wall. And then they, they pushed it back about uh, 20 feet in 1825, and then in 1865 they knocked it through again, 
having built a land bridge over the Jarrett burial ground and they built the chancel that we now have uh, with the Henry Bloom Noble window. And there's quite a story between behind the Henry Bloom Noble window. Go on then. Well, Bloom Noble gave the then vicar the cash to build that middle window, to have that middle and rather lovely stained glass window made. That was brave, wasn't it, giving the vicar cash? Well, he gave the vicar (laughs) cash and left it to him (laughs) to get the window made, which he did in good time. And he said to Henry Bloom Noble, here's the change. Uh, And he said, oh, well, no, you keep it. Buy what you need for the church. Well, they'd just built a, a, a sanctuary that was in the English style... particularly in the more Catholic English style with these lovely steps going up to the higher chancel and the stone glass window. So he thought he may as well, the vicar, thought he'd go the whole hog and buy robes for the choir. St. George is the first robed choir on the Isle of Man, just as we were the first organ on the Isle of Man, but that's another story. And the day came for them to dedicate the new chancel and uh, in what processed the robed choir and outstormed Henry Blue Noble shouting, I'll have have no popery, no popery in my church. (laughs) uh, Don't upset a sponsor. (laughs) An office storm never to come again and and he went and built St Ninian's. You mentioned the organ. Um... That was bought, I think, over from Ireland. There seems to be a fair bit of conjecture about Handel's Messiah linked in with the organ. Well, it's more than just conjecture. The, uh, the man, Messiah was launched by uh, Handel in the Fish Market Street uh, Music Academy. And... Um, he also did a number of recitals, but he ended up uh, with the, the world premiere of the Messiah because none of the cathedrals, including Dublin Cathedral, would let him launch it in their churches. And he had rather hoped he'd get away with it in Dublin, but, uh, but he didn't. And so he did it in this music academy, uh, which seems very strange to us these days. And, uh, and these recitals. And some 20 years later, the Music Academy was being closed and the son of the chap who'd built the new organ for Handel uh, was in contact with one of the sponsors of St. George's uh, who writes in his diary that he had a good bargain for a new organ uh, from this Music Academy in Dublin. So clearly 20 years later, it's the same organ that Handel played, uh, and uh, there are indeed, uh, there is detailed evidence and accounts and such like. So I know some people get pretty upset about the thought, but nevertheless, the first organ on the Isle of Man was the very organ that Handel uh, introduced the Messiah to the world. But once again, when you go into the website, um, the stone to build this was stoned Locally, it was the nunnery and Banks Howe, I think. But yeah. the, chi- the timber I was reading was imported from Latvia. Latvia, indeed. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredible, isn't it? it? In those times, it is. It is. But uh, 
nevertheless, they came from Latvia. And I mean, it, it, when you think about the costs that they they spent, that you know, single figures on pound, you know, pounds of nails and so yeah. on. It's quite remarkable when you think about how much it's. We've just spent nearly a quarter of a million revitalizing the external walls to remove all the 1960s cement and we've only managed to do three walls we haven't managed to do the tower and the west wall yet that needs another couple of hundred thousand stained windows are always a work of art always you've spoken about the henry bloom noble which is wonderful but even the small ones down in the side chapels are wonderful well they are i mean before you even get to those the windows either side of the henry bloom noble are are paid for by samuel harris of the harris promenade okay so who was amongst just about every senior role in in the new douglas borough council was also the vicar general of the island the senior church lawyer then we've got a number of other excellent uh, stained glass windows. Uh, one of my favourites is in the War Memorial Chapel, uh, where you've got the picture of Jesus with Mary and Martha, but you've also got that above that, a little circular window, which is a gorgeous picture of the, the dove representing the Holy Spirit. Um, at the back here, we have... Uh, a picture of Jesus blessing the children, summoning the children. One of my favourites, though, is an absolute puzzle to us, and it's the one at the back here. Let's get walking towards it, then. And uh, if anybody wants to come in and visit us and try and tell me what this is about, I've asked, so far, I've asked two bishops, three bishops, uh, and, uh, and several others to try and work out what's going on, because this is a stained glass window dedicated to the jubilee of Queen Victoria. Hence, in the circular window at the top, there's a portrait of Queen Victoria. But we've no idea who these two figures are, the main figures, one in each window. One might guess that that's Britannia, perhaps, but it's not the usual image for Britannia. There's no sword... There's no lion. There's no shield. That might be St. George, but there's no hint of a dragon, to which I say thank goodness. And there is an army in the background and a lieutenant beside him. So we're not really sure who they are. And it doesn't match any of the usual iconography or, doesn't, doesn't, no. or mythology. So, um, But that's still yeah. a beautiful red. It's a lovely window, isn't it? But yeah. The red of it is so vibrant. It really is. It really is. It is a gorgeous window. And many of them are. We've also got just a few uh, monuments left, including right up the top there, you've got one for Professor Edward Forbes, who was known as the Manx Linnaeus, a very famous uh, natural scientist of the mid-19th century. Uh, Next to that, though, the one with hardly any inscription on it, higher up, is... uh, somebody called Jane de la Prime and uh, she's listed as having died aged 22 and then later on somebody's come back and corrected that age to 44 which always Not intrigues me <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the age she said she was <laughs> that's what we assume but it does seem a long a big difference so 
And of course, our churchyard outside, which is the, we are the only church in Douglas with a burial ground. And St. George's was originally a chapel of ease for Braddon. The Manx people living in here didn't go to St. Matthew's or St. George's for burial, they went to Braddon. So this churchyard was in effect the field of the strangers. And uh, a lot of, the, well, most of those who are the earlier burials are people who, ha- who were visitors to the island. So we have quite a, a raft of people who played a key part in the life of the British Empire. But we've also got some key figures from the history of the Isle of Man. So we've got uh, Nellie Brannan, for instance, who, of course, was the Manx Florence Nightingale. Uh, who nursed so many through the two cholera uh, outbreaks of the 1830s, 1832-1833. We've also got Sir William Hillary, the founder of the Royal National Lifeboat Institute and the uh, and also the chap who raised the funds to build the Tower of Refuge in Douglas Bay. And he did that because of the sheer number of shipwrecked people whose bodies were washed up in Douglas Bay or elsewhere on the island who were buried in our churchyard. And uh, so he was inspired to do something about it. We were talking, or you were talking about the cholera outbreaks. Nellie Mm. seemed quite a formidable woman, orphaned at 16, um, sort of self-educated, couldn't read, couldn't write, but in the cholera outbreaks was going round giving sustenance to the people, patients and things like this. Mm. And didn't she become matron of the local hospital in Fort Street or something? She did. That's absolutely right. She did. But she had uh, um, wealthy patrons uh, who are also buried in St George's <laughs> Churchyard. We've now come outside, as you can hear, from the seagulls in the background singing SOA. I remember you mentioned about Samuel Harris, and I, I think his more... That's his memorial there, Samuel Harris, indeed. Over there, in the middle of of the oldest part of the graveyard, is stone with a plaque on the back of it, which is uh, Nellie Brannan's grave, and her mother was buried there first. So clearly uh, there was money to pay for a decent memorial for her mother as well, and then Nellie went in with her. But this memorial here, behind this wrought iron fence serves a double purpose. On this side, it commemorates the cholera outbreaks of 1832 and 1833. This plaque here is in memory of Nellie Brannan in particular. But on this side, it commemorates the first burial here, which was in 1784. And this is to commemorate the builder of the shipbuilder, Matthias Kelly. The fact that he was buried in 1784 is quite remarkable because for various reasons the churchyard wasn't actually consecrated until 1841 which is when this was erected in the summer of 1841. Because originally there was no land but the land was then bestowed upon the church. Well the land was given for the church and the churchyard in 1765. Uh They built the church but nobody established title. Nobody 
legally claim the property and nobody defined the boundaries. There was no wall. They wouldn't consecrate the burial ground until A, they'd established who owned it and B, they'd built a fence. Now, they built the wall in the 1820s. The bishop didn't consecrate it until 1841, although it was advertised to be consecrated about three times in the 1820s, but they never quite got round to doing it. I just like the little point of detail that the wall couldn't be more than five foot high. That's right, five feet high. Yeah, <laughs> Remarkable yes. bit of idiocy, but I just like yeah. things like that. That's what it's specified, and we still specify that these <laughs> days. Yes, that you're supposed to have either a wall or a stock-proof fence five mm-hmm. feet high, or a hedge, a thorny hedge five feet high. That's still the Manx law. I wonder why five feet? Well, it's partly to stop uh, cows and (laughs) horses and goats, I suppose, although these days, on the whole, we encourage that because it keeps the grass down. As Uh, far as Nellie uh, Brennan is concerned, are other cholera victims... There is. There's a cholera pit, although I have to to tell you that the the cross is missing at the moment. It's being restored. (laughs) because it was the worst for wear. It's beginning to rot. Uh-huh. And so it's been taken away for restoration. Ah, I see it now, uh, yep. Well, that, the cross you can see there is actually the um, Minerva pit. And that's, oh, that was a shipwreck? That was a shipwreck where uh, the crew of 14, the captain and uh, a wealthy gentleman passenger all perished and their funeral... The funeral of the crew, 14 of the crew, uh, happened on Christmas Eve, but the captain and the gentleman passenger were buried elsewhere, but I can't find them. This is the cholera pit, where where there is usually, and will once again very soon be, uh, another cross that just says cholera, and it covers this this whole area here. Uh, We're not quite sure how much. We've had it... We've checked it out, but uh, uh, we're very wary because the uh, bacilli can can live this long, I'm afraid. So, so is it, what, 200 people assume? 300. 300, was it? Nearer oh. to 300, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we believe. And we're now in the churchyard, and you can see the glory of... It, it's quite simple, the design of the church, but I don't think there was any plans, was it? Did it copy a church in Whitehaven or something? It did. It, it absolutely <laughs> did. Um, but what you see here is is the original building. So uh, the the nave from uh, about, not that 20 feet worth, but the rest of the nave and the tower up to just about the top of the arches was original. And then in 1825 and 1865, they extended the nave. And then in the 1909-1910, they added vestries um, on both the east, uh, the north and the south side at the west end of the building. So we've now got a whole range of offices and vestries and meeting rooms and a very nicely equipped kitchen and a full-size snooker table. Right. Is that a personal passion? (laughs) No, but we do have a snooker club. (laughs) We've also got 12 bells in the bell tower, uh, which are rung for all the morning services uh, and all the major services as well, Uh, all the civic services and such like that we host here.
you, uh, you're proud of this church, aren't you? I'm very proud of this church. And I'll tell you, do you know what I'm most proud of about this church? Over the last nine years, I've refused to let them charge a rent for the use of the building because we've come to see this, this building as an asset for the community, for Douglas and the wider island community. And so people can come along and use this for a concert, for a rehearsal, for choir practice, for committee meetings, for free. And the number of choirs who rehearse here, including the Isle of Man Government Choir, the number of communities and charity groups who hold their meetings here, I'm very proud of that. And it, it costs the church and it costs the congregation and they'll turn up and put on refreshments and such like and we don't charge a penny because we see it as not our clubhouse but as Douglas's civic church, as the island's church, as everybody's church. And I'm very, very proud of that as well as the fact that it's really rather a lovely building. On Bob Into Buildings tonight, I've been talking to Andy Brown, the vicar at St George's Church in Douglas. You can listen again to tonight's programme and programmes from the first two series as podcasts at manxradio.com. I'll be back next week at the same time with another featured building in this third series of Bob Into Buildings. I'm Bob Harrison. Good evening.